Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200K for one-eighth ownership. Picasso does all the work for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billing, scheduling, and more. And you can resell on Picasso's marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. Visit Picasso to see thousands of listings. That's P-A-C-A-S-O dot com. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig with details. Welcome to Tech Stuff, a production from iHeartRadio. Hey there, and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland. I'm an executive producer with iHeartRadio. And how the tech are you? It's time for the tech news for Thursday, April 13th, 2023. And first up, Carl Bode of Tech Dirt has an article about how telecommunications companies are running into trouble when it comes to accessing the money meant to fund the rip and replace mandate they are under. All right, so to understand this, we actually have to go back a little bit. Several years ago, beginning under the Trump administration, the U.S. government demanded that U.S. telecom companies remove and replace any telecom infrastructure components that came from the Chinese company Huawei. The main concern is that these components could potentially serve as a way for Huawei and then by extension, the Chinese government to penetrate U.S. communications networks and spy on us, essentially. This is understandably a concern. For one thing, as Bode actually points out, the U.S. has a history of doing this to U.S. telecom companies itself. See also the NSA. And heck, if we're going to do this to ourselves, doesn't it stand to reason that other people will try to do it to us too? 
snarkiness aside, and we should still be concerned about our own government, those of us in the United States, that's where I am, but our own government spying on us should always remain a concern. It's also a concern that foreign governments could try to do similar things by building into components this capacity. So the government told companies, hey, if you got any Huawei gear in your infrastructure, you need to ditch it and replace it with something else. And to that end, the government has authorized around $2 billion in funds to help companies do this, particularly the smaller telecom companies that don't have the same resources as the ginormous telecom companies. But now it appears as though, one, the money allocated isn't nearly enough to cover the job, and two, a lot of companies have encountered resistance or, at the very least, an unresponsive government as far as getting hold of those funds goes. Meanwhile, Bode points out, the government has sort of pivoted to really focus on TikTok rather than Huawei. And while TikTok may also pose a risk to some degree, by comparison, it's really nothing when you take into account the actual infrastructure of the communication system within the United States itself. So I think it's fair to say that Bode at least feels leaders are leaning harder on optics and an easier to sell story than they are in putting in the work to actually follow through on an earlier mandate. On the AI front, China's Cyberspace Administration has published proposed regulations with regard to AI development, and to be specific, we're talking about generative AI, stuff like ChatGPT, for example. And I'm currently working on an episode that will cover stuff like AI and regulations, because I feel like, similar to what Bode was saying about TikTok in the earlier story, we're kind of being led to a perspective on AI that I think is reductive and also ultimately misleading. Now, I am not saying that we shouldn't be concerned about generative AI, but I am concerned about generalizing generative AI to mean artificial intelligence in total, because I think it misses the big picture and creates opportunities for lots of problems down the road. But anyway, that's for a future episode that's going to take me a long time to put together. Anyway, officials in China are pushing for laws that would place tight restrictions on generative AI. Such AI, these regulations state, would need to avoid creating statements that undermine or contradict the state itself. Now, some of this comes across as being kind of reasonable, right? Like, not the upset the state, but that generative AI should have some restrictions so that it doesn't do stuff like promote terrorism or extremism. That sounds reasonable, though we do have to remember that what China officials define as terrorism and extremism can cover a wide spectrum and can include stuff like, I'm not sure the government is doing the right thing here. Anyway, it should come as no surprise that China wants to avoid a future in which AI could subvert the state's power, because that's par for the course for China in general. A lot of stuff in China, a lot of the laws in China ultimately kind of lead back to cementing the state's authority. Now, that being said, many of the proposed regulations are not that different to what we're hearing in other countries, including the United States, namely that generative AI should not compromise a person's privacy. That's reasonable. They should respect laws, including those protecting intellectual property. That's something that a lot of creators have been calling for. 
that they should not create discriminatory content. They should not promote things like hate speech uh, and racism. Uh, they should not propagate misinformation. All of these are regulations that we're hearing about, or at least proposed regulations we're hearing about all over the world, not just in China. And I do think that regulations for generative AI are likely a necessary step. You could argue, hey, we should just leave this up to the companies to build in these protections themselves. But generally speaking, when you just leave stuff to an industry, the stuff that comes out is not necessarily the best for the public good overall. I feel that a lot of nations can look at China's example or rather its proposed example and use that when thinking about how to frame their regulations. Uh, they can sit there and say, well, here are things that we should try and aim for. And here are the things that we should try to avoid. Right. So you can take it as both uh, an example of what to do and what not to do. There's a line and maybe sometimes it's a fine line between protecting the public and then protecting the status quo. Also on the subject of AI and a bit about Elon Musk, but trust me, this is not going to be like Tuesday's episode where more than half the show focused on Musk and Twitter. Ars Technica and Business Insider have reported that Musk is purchasing around 10,000 GPUs or graphics processing units. In fact, that he's already done so and spent millions in the process. And you might wonder, well, why would you want 10,000 GPUs? That's not entirely clear, but the speculation is that this is part of Musk's plan to create a competing artificial intelligence lab. So y'all might remember that a month or two ago, I did an episode about OpenAI. And I, in that episode, I mentioned that Musk was one of the founders of OpenAI, but that he left the organization in 2018. There are different stories about why he left, and it's possible that the truth is either unknown to the public or that the truth is actually a combination of the various stories that are out there. But one thing that's pretty clear is that Musk did not like the direction OpenAI was going in. According to Ars Technica, one complaint Musk had was that OpenAI was too, quote unquote, woke. Now, originally, when I was framing out this episode, I had a whole lot I was going to say about that. But honestly, anyone who has listened to me for a while already knows where I would go with that. So I'm going to drop it because there's no need for me to get on the soapbox. Anyway, Musk's move seemingly contradicts his participation in signing a letter for AI research to kind of pump the brakes a bit out of a concern that AI could do more harm than good if we don't create some checks and balances. And for the cynics among you, you might say, aha, Musk was doing this not because of his concern that AI is going to go all Terminator on us, but because he wanted to put a freeze on the AI industry in general so that he could make up some lost ground because they're getting started late in the game. And uh, I'll leave it to you to figure out like what scenario is most likely true. We don't know at the end of the day, you know, we, unless you happen to be one of Musk's closest circle, you'd probably don't know. Uh, but yeah, you know, it's kind of fun to speculate. One other quick update on Twitter related stories. NPR, which I mentioned Earlier this week, Twitter had previously labeled as state-affiliated media, and then after objections were raised, they changed that label to government-funded, has now said sayonara to Twitter. 
So reportedly, National Public Radio will halt the use of its 52 Twitter feeds. Uh, individual NPR stations like the local affiliates may or may not follow suit. A lot of them already have. Also, NPR is not forcing staff to suspend their own personal Twitter accounts. They can maintain them if they want to. PBS, that's the public broadcast TV organization here in the United States, has also issued a statement indicating that it will no longer use Twitter. So for people like me, this feels like a pretty massive blow to Twitter. Now, I recognize that my own experience on Twitter is not universal, so I don't want to fall into the trap of generalizing from my own experience and then just projecting that on everybody. Instead, I will say that when I was on Twitter regularly, there were three main things that drew me there. One, Twitter gave me a platform where I could share my thoughts, which more often than not were stupid jokes that were not very funny to anyone other than myself, which is essentially the kind of stuff I say on the show all the time. Two, I could follow celebrities, and that was fun because there were people that I admired in show business. And sometimes they would tweet to other people that I also admired in show business. And it was kind of like I was eavesdropping on famous people chit-chatting with each other. And that was kind of fun. And three, and most importantly, I would go to Twitter because news outlets were using Twitter to post breaking news stories. So if you just kept Twitter running on in the background, it meant that you were keeping up to date with the latest news. But for a major media organization to pull out of Twitter, well, that takes a swing at one of those foundational pillars for Twitter content. Now, of course, I have no clue what the majority of Twitter users uh, use as the reason they go to Twitter, right? Like, I don't know what most people use Twitter for. Uh, it's entirely possible that the vast majority of them don't give a fig about the news. And even if other media organizations follow the lead of NPR and PBS, these users are not going to bat an eyelash at that because that's not what they go to Twitter for in the first place. I just think that for folks who are like me, this becomes yet another reason to just ditch Twitter. Okay, we've got more news stories to cover. Before we get to those, let's take a quick break. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. 
That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. We're back. Uh, So morale over at Meta is unsurprisingly on the decline, according to various news reports. The company has obviously held a a couple of high profile rounds of layoffs with potentially more in the future. Uh, And according to the Straits Times, those layoffs amount to nearly 30% of the company's staff. So just imagine, uh, let's say that you, you know, work in a company or, you know, whatever business you work at, imagine that you're in a room with all of your coworkers and you're told that out of every three of them, one is going to be laid off. One out of every three employees are going to be laid off, which may or may not include you. And it's all in the name of the year of efficiency, as what Zuckerberg has said. The Straits Times goes on to say that while Zuckerberg has been pushing employees to go back to the office, the same is not necessarily true for upper management. A lot of executives have ended up working remotely from other locations. And so unlike the rank and file of Meta, they are not required to come in. So you're being coerced or forced to come back to your office. But meanwhile, you are seeing that the leadership are not under the same rules. That also starts to contribute to problems with morale. There becomes this very obvious disconnect between what's expected of you and what's expected of leadership. Zuckerberg himself is on parental leave, which, you know, first of all, parental leave is a great benefit. All employees should have access to parental leave. Uh, Parental leave is what allows parents to spend that time they need with their children in order to make certain that their kids are going to be growing up healthy and safe. And I am fully in favor of parental leave for all employees. And I'm not a parent. Like I don't have kids and I'm never going to have kids, but I am fully in favor of parental leave because I want those kids to grow up to being well-adjusted, productive members of society so they can take care of me when I'm too old to do anything. So it is in my own self-interest to care about the kids. (laughs) But anyway, I'm not going to throw shade at anybody for taking parental leave. And that includes Mark Zuckerberg. I am not going to shame the leader of the company who's telling people to go back into the office for taking time off. If that's, if it means that he's spending time with his child, his newborn to me, that's justifiable. However, his absence again adds to morale issues within the company. 
employees have said that they felt increased pressure to show that they are working hard on projects. You know, a lot of the framing of this has been around executives saying that they had more employees than they had work to do and that a lot of employees were spending the majority of their time not really being productive at all because there wasn't enough work for them to to tackle. So part of this was talking about like a, a reorganization to bring into alignment the workload with the workforce. And that may or may not be true. It probably is true to a certain degree. And the remaining employees feel that they need to justify their employment, right? That they need to make certain that they are not doing anything that could potentially put their job at risk in the current economic climate that is incredibly understandable. But meanwhile, top leadership is largely absent from Meta HQ. Also, the company has been scaling back on employee benefits like meals and subsidies for ride hailing services and that kind of thing, which again makes sense. The company's cutting back on costs, although employees might be asking, are these the costs that make the most sense to cut back on? It's stuff that affects quality of life. Uh, you have already laid off a third of us. The bosses are never around. You know, it, you're making us come back into the office, but you're pulling out some of the benefits of working in an office. The icing of the cake, of course, is that tech companies at large are implementing hiring freezes or they're even actively downsizing. So it's not like the solution for the employees just to hand in their resignation and then go find their dream job somewhere else. It is a really bad situation, potentially made worse by Meta continually emphasizing business strategies that, at least in the near term, are not likely to generate significant revenue, which means that not only are the employees getting more and more unhappy, that's not going to make shareholders happy either, which in turn will potentially fuel other cutbacks in the future, and it becomes this kind of perpetuating cycle. The state of Arkansas has followed the state of Utah's lead in passing a bill that will require anyone under the age of 18 to get parental consent before they can open a social media account. Rob Thubrin of TechSpot has a piece about this in which he talks about how the law has some perplexing exceptions, some of which could potentially really undermine the whole law itself. So, for example... Thubron says that some of the amendments to this bill appear to exempt social platforms where users can, quote, generate short video clips of dancing, voiceovers, or other acts of entertainment in which the primary purpose is not educational or informative, end quote. So, first of all, there's all sorts of content on all of these social platforms, right? Some of which is intended to be educational, at least to some degree, or informative. You know, you have the infotainment stuff where it's trying to teach you something. And that same platform may also host content that has nothing to do with education or inform information. It's all about just entertainment, right? Like making you laugh or creating a scary video or whatever it may be. And with this wording, it makes it sound like a platform like TikTok, for example, would potentially be exempt from the rule because it's a platform that allows users to generate short video clips of dancing and voiceovers and other kinds of entertainment. So that's weird because the government in general is really down on TikTok right now. But based on that wording, it sounds like TikTok would not be subjected to these rules. 
potentially a platform like Instagram or Snapchat would not be subjected to that rule. In addition to those, other amendments exempt services like email and messaging services, as well as video streaming, professional networking, and gaming-focused social services. So with those exemptions, it sounds like, okay, so LinkedIn would not be covered by this rule. You could you could uh, create a LinkedIn account and not have to go through age verification, but then that kind of makes sense. I mean, what 13-year-old wants to build a LinkedIn profile? But then you start to wonder, well, if gaming-focused services are potentially exempt, does that mean that Twitch is exempt from this rule as well? I mean, I guess what I'm saying is that there sounds like there's a ton of wiggle room with these amendments. And it could be that this particular law won't actually do anything but take up space in a rule book. So the intent is to make sure that children receive some protection, particularly when it comes to the practices of data collection and exploitation. And I'm fully in agreement with that. I don't think that kids should be necessarily subjected to that. I don't think anyone should, honestly. I think at this point that the power of our information should be shifted back toward the individual, kind of the way the EU tries to do it. I think that that needs to be sort of a global rule. It just isn't. But I certainly think that that should apply to children. But I'm not sure that this bill, as reported, achieves that goal. Maybe I'm wrong. Anyway, for the few social platforms out there that somehow cannot argue their way out of being subject to this rule, they will have to enlist the services of a third-party verification company, which will end up you know, going through steps so that users will have to submit information about themselves to prove their identity and their age before citizens in Arkansas have a chance to sign up for an account. This does not go, it's not retroactive. So existing accounts are grandfathered in. If, if a 14 year old already has say a Facebook account, that 14 year old doesn't have to go through this process, but moving forward, new users would have to assuming that the platform was uh, subjected to this kind of a restriction and anyone below the age of 18 will need parental consent before they are allowed to create that profile. So yeah, uh, I don't know. We'll have to see. I haven't in full disclosure. I have not read this law. I haven't sat down to read the actual language of the law itself. I'm not an expert in law either. So even if I did read it, I would probably not walk away with a, a full understanding of it, but yeah, it sounds to me like there's some pretty big gaps here and and it's potentially a useless law. If it turns out that everyone falls under at least one exemption, then the law doesn't apply to anybody. So we'll have to see. I do know that the state of Utah's version is far more restrictive than the state of Arkansas. So that's a much different story. And uh, other states are currently debating their own version of this kind of law. Again, I do think it's important to have laws in place to protect children. I don't know if age verification is the big one. I guess it's part of it because you do need to know who needs to be protected, <laughs> right? Uh, but I think there need to be some some uh, laws that just are going across the board to protect the privacy of children online. Uh, and to do it better than the way it's been done in the past, because often it feels like the cannon is being pointed in the wrong direction. Uh, but again, I'm no expert in law, so 
All I know is that the consequences often end up being unintentionally harmful toward parties that have very little to do with the actual problem. All right, we're going to take another quick break. When we come back, I've got a couple more stories I want to cover. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeartRadio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. All right. Now, uh, here's some good news. Today, Apple posted that the company has set a target to use 100% recycled cobalt by 2025 in Apple design batteries. Uh, This follows some other initiatives that also look to increase recycled material content in Apple products. In fact, Apple said that, you know, for products that have magnets in them, They're going to aim for 100% recycled rare earth elements by 2025. Now, I've talked in past episodes about how modern electronics require some specific materials, and some of these materials are difficult to come by. Uh, Some of them rely upon mining operations in areas of the world where the mine operations are using what amounts to slave labor. Like, it it contributes to human misery. It can 
uh, it contributes to human trafficking. It, it also ends up supporting militias that end up creating instability in various regions. It's a really big human rights nightmare in some parts of the world. And even in the places where that's not an issue, where the, the human rights piece of the, of the puzzle isn't really relevant. All of these mining operations create environmental problems. So switching to recycled materials is a huge deal. It removes the reliance upon new mining operations for those particular components. It drastically reduces e-waste, which is a huge deal. It's uh, incredibly frustrating that we've got mountains of defunct or unwanted electronics that either are not being reused so that they continue a useful life beyond their initial one or recycled. Uh, the recycling process is tricky. It's not the easiest thing in the world to do. And you to do it in a way where you're actually doing it economically and efficiently is hard. So in some ways, it's understandable that there's this issue here. But Apple is framing this as part of the company's overall strategy to achieve carbon neutral status by 2030. And I really hope Apple achieves these various goals because it helps deal with some really troubling problems in tech that we don't often talk about because they're not they're not always obvious. And that includes e-waste, which I've talked about on this show before. And I hope to see more companies follow suit. And of course, activist groups and consumers should always keep an eye on companies to pressure them to make these sorts of goals and then to sincerely pursue those goals, not just to say they want to do this, but then to follow through. And it may mean that in the long run, certain things get more expensive because it's not always, you know, economically advantageous to go the recycling route versus mining new materials. But it may do the best public good in the long run. And you have to start balancing these things out at some point. We can't just all continue to live like it's the 1980s. Uh, I lived through the 1980s. We don't, we don't really need to go back there. Y'all. I mean, the music was dope, you know, new wave, fantastic, but there was a lot of other stuff about the eighties that was not good. We now know when Google is going to shut down Google Currents, which is yet another Google service that will shuffle off its digital coil and go into the great graveyard of Google products and services. So Google introduced this a couple of years ago, back in 2019, actually, and now we'll shut it down. But it's done that with lots of stuff. In fact, if you are to look at a list of things that Google introduced and then later shut down, it is a very long list. I've done full episodes about it and only covered like 10% of the, the various products that Google has abandoned. Uh, and I also think that probably a lot of y'all are unfamiliar with Currents. So Currents was a collaborative platform. Technically, it still is. It hasn't been shut down yet. It's a collaborative platform for G Suite customers. And the G Suite is a suite of productivity services that companies use. So kind of like Microsoft Office, it's a cloud-based group of services uh, and it comes out of Google. So Currents was kind of a, a collaborative tool that worked with these various G Suite uh, services. In itself, it was kind of a replacement for Google+. Google+, was shut down by Google several years ago at this point. Uh, Google introduced Currents in 
2019, like I said, and now the company has indicated it will start to shut it down beginning on July 5th. Now, we've known that Google was going to phase out currents for a while. It's just that the news now is that we know when it's going to start to happen. And that's, like I said, the 5th of July. Also, Google already has a, a kind of a replacement in line. It's a service called Spaces. This is also pretty much Google's MO. The company will introduce something. It will then evaluate that, that something, that product. It will scavenge all the most useful features off of that product and then incorporate those features into something else, either a new Google product or maybe an existing Google service. And then it'll kill off whatever the original something was. So fare thee well, Google Currents. We didn't even know ye. Finally, the state of Colorado has passed the Consumer Right to Repair Agricultural Equipment Act this week. It, make, it makes Colorado the first state to pass a law giving farmers and independent technicians the legal right to repair equipment, agricultural equipment, beginning next year. As I have covered on this show, there's been a history of companies such as John Deere. It's not the only one that does it. It's just arguably the most famous one to, to include features on the equipment they sell to farmers that makes it difficult or even impossible for someone to do their own maintenance on equipment that they have purchased. Instead, farmers would have to haul their equipment to the closest licensed John Deere repair operation for maintenance and repair. So for people who depend on heavy machinery working properly in order to do their jobs, and these are jobs that are on a deadline when it comes to stuff like planting and harvesting while avoiding waste, right? You have a limited amount of time where you can work before you're losing the yield you could have. And you don't want to contribute to things like food waste. That's a, already a huge problem. So this is a big obstacle, right? If you are not able to do this maintenance and repair work when you need it, and you have to take more time out of your, your operations in order to transport a piece of equipment, however many miles it may be to the closest licensed repair center, that's a huge deal. And without the legislative system stepping in to force companies to allow customers a chance to maintain and repair their equipment, there was very little reason to believe that it was ever going to change. The agricultural equipment industry has spent a decent amount of time and money lobbying against this kind of legislation, arguing that as equipment becomes more sophisticated, it can become dangerous or impractical for anyone not licensed to work on the equipment to be able to access it. I mean... Based on this argument, you can make the dang problem so much worse. But critics have argued that this stance is, at best, not the whole story. At worst, it's completely insincere. And that the real reason behind turning equipment into a black box is just to provide an ongoing source of revenue. Because those repair shops have to pay licensing fees to the company, like John Deere in our example. And having a closed-off ecosystem creates a lot more revenue streams that all go to you instead of potentially to some independent repair person. So the new law, which takes effect next January, will require manufacturers to provide diagnostic tools and repair manuals and similar resources to farmers and independent repair technicians. There are a couple of exceptions, however. Matters relating to security or to emissions are not covered by this new law. So farmers will still have to rely on officially licensed technicians 
for repairs or maintenance that fall under those situations. Now we'll have to watch to see if the industry tries to categorize pretty much every single problem as falling into one or both of those buckets. And that's it. That's all the news I have for you today, Thursday, April 13th, 2023. Hope you are all well. If you would like to reach out to me, you can still do so on Twitter. The handle there is techstuffhsw. Uh, I will have to get a, an alternative to that because it's it's hard to do story after story about problems at Twitter and then still give people a Twitter handle in order to reach out to me. You can also download the iHeartRadio app. It's free to download. It's free to use. You can navigate over to Tech Stuff by putting it in the little search field. It'll have the podcast page pop up. You go into that. You'll see a little microphone icon. And if you click on that, you can leave a voice message up to 30 seconds in length. Let me know what you'd like to hear in a future episode. And I will talk to you again really soon. Tech Stuff is an iHeartRadio production. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. You've probably heard a lot about electrified vehicles lately. Well, Toyota has electrified options for every lifestyle. We've got hybrids, no plug needed. But we also have plug-in hybrids, if that's your thing. You can even go 100% electric in the Toyota BZ4X. With so many options for reducing carbon emissions, Toyota is electrified, diversified. Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo play asking the right questions can greatly impact your future especially when it comes to your finances so if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest that's why it's got to be a cfp find your cfp professional at let's make a plan.org